Take precautions. It's about to be hammer time. And just when you think we would use that song, and I thought we were going to use that song, at the 11th hour, we get a hold of that one, Hammer Horror by Kate Bush. Nice. Nice. When we get around to doing our Fright Club Spotify playlist, which is a good idea, by the way. Uh, we got to do that. That one will certainly be on it. Kate Bush, always interesting. But that gets us in to the topic this week, and that is our favorite Hammer Horror movies. And there's a lot of titles to, to talk about because we got a special guest, and the two lists are not very similar. So uh, we got a lot to get into. But first, some taking care of some business from last week. What do we got? Well, so the last podcast we did uh, was on Sisters in Horror. And our old friend and senior Aussie correspondent, Corey Metcalf, responded. And I'm curious if he means this or not, because no way he likes this movie. But he was hoping to hear us mention Happy Birthday to Me. So this is the only time I'll ever mention Happy Birthday to Me. So you think you think that's fake news? He doesn't really? <laughs> I hope he doesn't. <laughs> it's like that scene in, um, oh, what is it, where Jack Black says, no way she likes that song. <laughs> High fidelity. High fidelity about, uh, <laughs> I just called to say I love you. So we don't know, Corey, you got to let us know. By the way, we didn't mention it, but I am George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club podcast. We're from madwolf.com. And this is our little horror thing that we do. And again, a special guest coming up here in just a couple of minutes. We're going to talk about the hammer horror. But also, we got a note last week from our buddy Letitia, who is coming in for Nightmares Film Festival in a couple of weeks. She was going back doing some archives, listening to some old Fright Clubs, and she liked the WTF podcast. That was a good one. That was a fun one. It's always good to do a little WTF. Whatever the whatever the topic might be, you can find some fun stuff in WTF. So thank you for that. We talked about, I mentioned Nightmares Film Festival, which is coming up, coming up quick. And uh, the final lineup, by the way, has just been announced. So we posted that on the Facebook page, did we not? We did. So that's Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook. The whole lineup, all the picks that we humbly say that we had a hand in, had a hand in picking. We were on the jury uh, for the submissions and we're really honored to do that. So it's a killer lineup. If you're thinking of coming in, if you're still kicking it around, please do. It's going to be a lot of fun and we'll have some coverage of it too if you can't make it. Uh, maybe shoot for next year. It's going to be fantastic. Anyway, that's uh, coming up October 19th through the 22nd. And before that, we've got the next edition of Fright Club Live. We're going to get greasy. That's right. We're going to show the Greasy Strangler, which is such an incredibly fun movie to see in a group. You know, I mean, that I think that's what I'm the most excited about was just to watch it with a bunch of other people because it's, it's nuts. Yeah, and it's one of those that a lot of people missed when it had its somewhat short theatrical run, and at least around here, everybody, the people that did see it like us, it's one of those instantly quotable movies. You just walk around and you feel like this in-joke. Did you see it? So you say something like, bullshit artist, and they exactly, no, yeah, yeah, and everybody around you going, what, what? Then they want to see it, so here's the chance. So Greasy Strangler, and we're going to count down the best food horror. I didn't think that was the topic. No, it is. I know, but I mean, oh, when we've been talking about it, I think it changed a few times, didn't it, before we settled on that? Fathers and Sons we talked about for a minute, right. I think we're going to do that in December. How about Sons Wearing Women's Glasses? <laughs> that might be a, a tough group to pull together, <laughs> but I could try. Anyway, it's going to be fun. That's October 11th, so uh, look forward to that. Yeah, so uh, it is Hammer Time, talking about the favorite Hammer horror films between not only us, well, mainly Hope, but uh, but also <laughs> but our special guest, uh, Dark Day from Phantom Theories. Been a guest before. Welcome back. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to do it. I know you're a fan of this because you've got your list, which is almost entirely different from Hope. So that's great because you could talk about a lot of different titles. But first, for those that might be unaware, just give me the background. Give me the rundown on what is Hammer Horror. Well, actually, so it's a studio out of London. 
And uh, it's primarily known as kind of genre filmmakers, but they actually started, uh, they kind of kicked off in the late third and mid thirties, but they didn't get really popular until the late fifties when they did turn to horror films. Mainly what they started doing was kind of uh, their own version of the um, universal classics. Uh, they started with a, a Frankenstein movie and then they, they made like eight Frankenstein movies. They made seven Frankenstein movies. I think they made nine Dracula movies. And most of those both starred Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Uh, Peter Cushing was always Frankenstein, but he was also often Van Helsing. And Christopher Lee was the Frankenstein monster once, and he was almost always Dracula. So that was really where they built their house was on those two. Um, and then uh, you you may also know it more for sort of its sultry leading ladies because that's in a, for a lot of people that's really what hammer is known for you, you know in these costume dramas they've got ingrid pitt probably the most famous one hazel court who i like because she was a tall redhead uh barbara shelley is another one that showed up in a lot of these and i mean there's just really hammer became really known for these kind of bodice ripping you know super gorgeous uh, women in peril and also often villainous women in their movies. So that became a really big deal for them. And they kind of hit hard times by the 70s. I think people were really tired of the the type of, you know, sort of dusty kind of castle driven period pieces that they were making. And they really ventured out and started making things that maybe were a little bit more like sort of on the line of a, a Hitchcock idea or even the kind of films that Roger Corman had been making. They share a lot of stars with the Roger Corman horror films. Um, but they didn't, they were never nearly as popular again as they were throughout the 60s. Then in the 80s, they collapsed entirely. Uh, and then there was like a, a, a rebirth of sorts in the early 2000s. They actually, they're responsible for Let Me In, which we both love, Woman in Black, which we, which we both love. And, and several other, The Quiet One, several others that really weren't particularly memorable. But as far as I know, I don't think they are still active. I could be wrong about that. They could be, and they're just not really making anything very splashy at the moment. But they are an incredibly popular, beloved studio, especially in England. But in the in the 60s and, and, and like late 50s and 60s, they were the most popular horror movies on earth. And this is a really good topic that Dave came up with because uh, when we did, again, a long time ago, really among the very first podcast that we did, we did the best of certain decades and we did the best of the 60s. We did not include a single Hammer horror film and we got nailed for that. So this is our very tardy way of rectifying that situation. So, Dark Dave, what what led you into the Hammer horror films? Uh, it was a really easy transition. Um, we talked about Vincent Price last time and how the Vincent Price, Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe cycle was very similar to the look and the feel that you got with the Hammer Horror. And so that transition, you know, just seeing another version, like Hope said, of the Universal Monsters just made it all, you know, a niche for me. So I, I love all of that dream sequence, castle lore. Um, like Hope just said, Hazel Court, she did some stuff with Vincent Price as well. So it was really cool just to see some of those actors and actresses bounce back and forth and then the imagination they brought to the screen. Well, the one thing that sticks out for me in watching at least a little bit of a lot of these is that Christopher Lee was very tall, (laughs) especially when matched up against a lot of these actors, you know, for his time. Yeah, he strikes a figure. Of course, he's going to play Frankenstein's monster. He's going to play Dracula. He was very imposing, really was up until his death. Just a very imposing figure. Uh, And he and Peter Cushing made that classic pair. So, as I said, a lot of titles to get to, so let's get to them. We'll start with the first few on our list. 
our top five list of Hammer Horror films. And at number five is the story of the Duke and his friend Rex discovering their young charge Simon has fallen in with the powers of darkness and is about to be baptized into the service of evil. From 1968, The Devil Rides Out. The power of darkness is more than just a superstition. It is a living force which can be tapped at any given moment of the night. The Devil Rides Out fills the screen with a special kind of visual terror. All your feet quickly! Back to back! Join hands! You will hear his evil. You will feel his evil. You will see his evil. So this is a campy one. And here's what I want to here's what I want to point out as we get through my half of this list is that I swear to God, when I was paring this down, because Hammer has actually Dave told me how like 260 films to go through. And uh, and I started with a list of about, I don't know, 27, 28 and just kept sort of narrowing down and narrowing down until I came up with mine. And I realized after I'd already decided what they were, they every single one was directed by Terrence Fisher. Which is weird, and uh, I didn't mean for that to happen, but there you go. So it did. And The Devil Rides Out is one of his weaker efforts, but it's, uh, it, it, it's one of the really fun, campy hammer horror films. Uh, it, it looks great. I love it because in the very opening sequence, Christopher Lee with like the slick back dark hair and this dark goatee, he's standing like he's so tall, he's very menacing, he's furrowed brow. He looks just the picture of evil, and he's the good guy. And I thought, what? Like, that's bizarre. And the bad guy, and this is, I'm sure, what kills me, what, what made it too much for me. The bad guy is Charles Gray. He is the criminologist from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I would like, if I may. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love that. Yeah. You can't see him without wanting. You want to just yell at the screen. <laughs> you do. That man has no neck. That's what you want to yell. <laughs> Actually, my favorite thing about this movie is that scenes from it were used in the 1982 video, The Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. That's awesome. So that's nice. Yeah. You can't go wrong with little Maiden. And this one, I guess, was a personal favorite of Christopher Lee's. Apparently, he called it his favorite Hammer film uh, of all the ones that he did. And the character Mokata uh, in this movie was based on Aleister Crowley in the original novel. And the writer, Dennis Wheatley, invited Aleister Crowley to dinner for some research purposes. So that would have been an interesting dining experience. It has... Like everything in a horror movie that I, as a as a little kid, loved, it has a black mass, a white mass, another black mass. The devil shows up two different times, and it has Christopher Lee in it. I mean, it's it's awesome. And my favorite part, though, is uh, uh, Gray plays Mokata, and you know he hypnotizes people with his eyes, and so there are like hundreds of close-ups of just this man's eyes and his arched eyebrows while he whispers something menacingly without moving his lips. It's the best. It's stupid, but in the best possible way. I It's the most fun movie. That should be on a movie poster. It's stupid, but in the best possible way. Hope Madden, get to the theater. That's The Devil Rides Out, number five on our list of Hammer Horror. Moving up to number four, the story of Baron Frankenstein capturing the soul of a recently executed young man and installing it in a young woman from 1967. Frankenstein Created Woman. Frankenstein's most terrifying experiment comes to life. Frankenstein created woman. Who am I? What is it for? To give life after death, my friend. That's what it's for. Life after death. 
Peter Cushing as Baron Frankenstein. He's come back from the grave. Somebody's brought him back. By this time, we're about halfway through the Frankenstein cycle. And this is a weird film. But Peter Cushing is so great as Dr. Frankenstein, Baron Frankenstein in the Hammer ones, because he's just, he doesn't care. He, he doesn't give a shit. You know, he's just, he doesn't care what you have to say. He's not, there's no remorse. He's just, he's just, just morally lax. He doesn't care. He's got stuff to do. And he's so convincing. And in, in so many of his, his other roles, he's this just prim sort of, especially he's been Helsing, that it's just fun to watch him sort of just flout morality and do what he wants to do. I love him as Frankenstein. And this movie, uh, I think I find it interesting because it's basically their version of The Bride of Frankenstein because he, he's made a female. And it has a lot of the same trappings in a way, uh, sort of this kind of concept of the ideal woman as opposed to, of course, what the Frankenstein monster was, was hardly the ideal man. But what he's more interested in, and partly because in really everything Peter Cushing ever did, he's completely asexual. So there's there's like no sparks whatsoever between him and the monster or between the monster and him, which I thought was interesting because it's, it's a, again, of course, Hammer Horror. It's this gorgeous woman, Susan Denberg. She, she was, you guys are both Trek nerds. She played Magda Kovacs. Well, she was one of Harry Mudd's, Dr. Harry Mudd's women. Uh, and every oh, nice. every Star Trek fan knows Harry Mudd. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but anyway, the point is that what I liked about this movie is that instead of following the regular path, they turn this woman into a murderer by putting the soul of her boyfriend in her body. Um, and uh, and so it's really the first one, I think, of the Frankenstein movies that is so completely fixated on the concept of the human soul, which I think in the book... I think that's a very powerful concept in the book. Like, what is the soul? What are we doing with the soul? And so even though, again, it's, it's, this is a very campy film and goofy, I love the idea that they sort of tackle that. I really enjoyed Frankenstein Creative Woman. I thought it was a, a cool kind of different way to do the Frankenstein movie. It's actually one that I had got on Blu-ray and it came with a really cool five by seven lobby cards. So my fondest memory was that I enjoyed the film, but the lobby cards were really great. <laughs> So that's number four on our Hammer Horror list, Frankenstein Created Woman. We'll run down one more of ours before we get to Dave and what's on his list. And this is number three for us from 1967. Victor Frankenstein building a creature and brings it to life. Sounds familiar. But it behaves not as he intended. The curse of Frankenstein. What are you trying to tell me, Paul? The dictator's wicked? Insane? Wicked? Insane? Evil? Call Frankenstein what you will. A demon had made a man-made monster, and now the monster was the master. Paul, what are you going to do? For your sake and to protect Elizabeth, I've so far kept silent. But now I shall go to the authorities and have them destroy that creature and see that you pay for these atrocities. No! This one did really well. For, for many years, this was the most profitable movie to be produced in England by a British studio. So very popular. Yeah. And this, again, another Terrence Fisher. It was, again, uh, Peter Cushing as the Baron. And he's just unhinged madness. Wonderful. I love him so much in this movie. And Christopher Lee plays the monster. So no way. I mean, I love Christopher Lee. He, does, he doesn't even for a second compare 
to Boris Karloff. He just doesn't. Um, his monster is sort of all brute force, and he's at this sort of mangled up face, and he's got no no personality, no character at all. So that's unfortunate. But Cushing more than makes up for it because he's a far sight better as as the doctor because he's not conflicted. <laughs> he doesn't again doesn't give a shit, and he's really fun to watch. And uh, and I think that's one of the things that is actually the thing I love the most about this movie is that it's not it's really not imparting any kind of moralistic values, which I think all other Frankenstein movies do and most other Hammer movies do. But they just let Cushing run wild with this script and he he owns it. I remember I was shocked because when I had bought this one, I didn't realize it was going to be in black and white because all the other ones were in color. Which is okay because I traditionally like black and white movies, but it, it you know threw me for a loop on that one. And honest to truth, it might be one of my least favorites of the whole Frankenstein series. <laughs> not to not to say anything wrong with it, but <laughs> actually, I guess a lot of film historians have have credited this film's success with resurrecting the horror genre, which had kind of declined in popularity from you know from the 30s and 40s. And then this did so well. At least a lot of people think that this helped prop it back up. Well, they think, definitely kickstarted that franchise again. I think um, in the 50s, horror really turned to sci-fi with the sort of Cold War. So you had all of these, you know, attack of the crab people attack. It's like these big like radiation monster mutants coming at you and then people tired of it. So I think, yeah, this sort of return to more traditional horror became suddenly popular because of because of this film. And it did. It, it was not only did it kick off the horror genre, it's the movie that turned Hammer into a horror studio. It's really their first outright horror movie. Uh, and, and after that, they really, for many years, were not known for anything else. They really just did genre films. So that's number three on our list, The Curse of Frankenstein from 1967. And before we get our number one and number two, uh, we got a lot of different ones from Dark Dave and his list. So why don't you run yours down? First, I have to start off by saying a lot of people are probably going to be mad at me, so I have to explain my reasoning. My list contains no Christopher Lee Dracula and no Peter Cushing Frankenstein because I did not want to face taking those movies and having to break them down. And I wanted to focus on the other Hammer horror films that people may not be familiar with. So there's a method to the madness. Bear with me. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Number five from 1958, The Snorkel. So this is kind of my... Alfred Hitchcock look at a Hammer horror film. It's more of a crime horror mystery, but with a compelling story and a really, really good payoff at the end. Um, It's about Paul Decker. He murders his wife by drugging her, and he, he leaves her in a room in which he injects a gas to kill her. All the while, he lays under the floorboards wearing a scuba snorkel that he has wired with hoses so he could breathe outside the house. And police come in and, of course, rule it a suicide until his stepdaughter begins to unravel the murder clue by clue. And the closer she gets, it looks like history is going to repeat itself. So for me, I just it's clever. It leaves on the edge of your seat. And like I said, the payoff at the end just makes me dig it very much. Um, one of the things I noticed about your list, Dave, is that uh, you, you do tend more toward uh, the hammer sort of Hitchcock. I, I know that Lord knows I come up with rules as to how we come up with our list. So we totally are, are hip to the idea that you've got to, you had to have rules to narrow this down. And uh, and I like it because, again, it gives a chance to talk about more of these movies. But the ones you came up with, so many of them were written by Jimmy Sangster, who who is very much a Hitchcock fan. And, and most of his films are the ones that come across the most like a Hitchcock film, which this one, I think, of all of the films he did, is the most like one. And it always reminded me of uh, Shadow of a Doubt, of Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt, where you've got this younger girl 
who who knows the guy everybody likes is, is in the family is is wrong, but she can't really prove it, and she's in jeopardy. And and uh, and so I always really like that about about this movie. I'm glad you picked it. I'd actually forgotten about it. Yeah, it it blends uh, a lot of time. You can find it kind of in a hammer horror pack. So because it's not as popular as you know the Frankenstein's and Dracula's. Okay, that's uh, your number five, the snorkel. How about number four? Coming in at number four from 1960, The City of the Dead. And this is my witchcraft hammer horror film. Uh, It's about a college student who wants to research witchcraft, so she goes to a town called Whitewood. Her professor, who is played by Christopher Lee, sends her to Raven's Inn, a place where she will soon find what she's looking for. But, of course, the last thing she expected was to become part of it. It's a great movie. It's you know it's atmospheric. I really like the setting. There's tons of fog, and this was the first feature film for director John Moxie, who later did the Darren McGavin Night Stalker, which I also liked. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I mean, what, what says witchcraft better than Massachusetts, right? Yeah, it's funny. This one, uh, you could see other movies really steal from this later. The Dunwich Horror steals a lot. From this movie, and I don't want to say Dario Argento stole anything, but there are a lot of elements in this movie that you can also see in Suspiria. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Also, uh, John Llewellyn Moxie directed Psycho Circus. So <laughs> that's a horrible oh, movie. Was... Christopher Lee's in that horrible movie, but that's that's actually I, I I saw this and I thought, wait, I know that name. How do I know that name? And, it, and it, I didn't realize he had directed this, but yeah, Psycho Circus. So that's Dark Dave's number four, City of the Dead. Uh, number three on your list. What do you got? From 1964, Nightmare. So Nightmare was directed by Freddie Francis, who, in my opinion, is just like Terrence Fisher. He's well-known for the Hammer stuff. Um, but this movie is kind of cool. It's it's like the haunted house, mind-boggling version of the film. It's uh, visually disturbing. Basically, it's all about people who are on, you know, they walk around. They don't know what they're seeing is true or not. You got a girl who's released from a private school because they can't withstand her and her consistent nightmares. So she gets sent back home where she's watched over because her guardian's out of town. And the problem is, is she's continuously having these nightmares, but now they're kind of coming to life in that. You know, when she was younger, she witnessed her mom killing her dad, and now she's seeing a woman dressed in white walk her halls, and that's only the beginning of the nightmare as the plot unfolds. So Freddie Francis, he's been known, you know, since the 70s and 80s, mainly as a cinematographer, and a great one. He works extensively with David Lynch. He did The Elephant Man, which comes to mind because this film, Nightmare is Black and White. But I think that, for me, was is the first, which I rewatched. I'm not even sure I'd ever seen it all the way through before, but I rewatched it after you sent us your list. And that's the first thing I thought of was that it is gorgeous. It looks gorgeous. And then also the opening nightmare, the the first one we see, where you don't realize exactly what's happening yet because you don't have the backstory yet. It is it's really very creepy. It's creepy and effective and it sets a great mood for the whole film. Very cool. Number three on Dark Dave's list, Nightmare. And one more before we go back to our list, because it just works out perfectly that way. What's uh, your number two? This was really tough. My one and two were almost even, but I have to I have to have my reasons. So I bring back the director, Freddie Francis. And number two is Paranoic from 1963. 
And this one's more of my creepy, dramatic type film. Uh, a family is torn apart by the death of the Ashbys. You know, you get a mother, father, and son. The children, who, who are adults, but they're left under the care of their aunt as they stay at the mansion. And, you know, everything is clockwork until the youngest, who had supposedly jumped off a cliff and drowned, all of a sudden it shows back up and he's an adult. He's grown up. And the youngest of the bunch, Elena, she is the first to see him. And at first she thinks she's seeing things until all of a sudden he pops back up and explains that he's not dead. And now he's got to convince the family that it's really him and he's back. Oliver Reed is in this movie and he plays Simon. Yes, we love Oliver Reed. He plays Simon, who's her brother and a brother of Tony as well. And he's not convinced. He he is an alcoholic, and he, he doesn't believe anything that the, that this Tony character says. He's determined to prove it at all costs. And, you know, the thing I love about Oliver Reed in this movie, he's so cocky. He's a jackass, and all he wants is his cigarettes, his brandy, and to drive his fast car. And he is a pure maniac. He is over the top. And, you know, I've been inspired to, to maybe get nude and bar hop. <laughs> you know, just like like he did. This, this might be, but for me, I mean, this film re- when it reaches its climax, it's it's very deserving, and it's a story all on its own. One of the things I love about this movie and Oliver Reed, and it's you know, and everything Oliver Reed is involved in, it just feels unseemly. You know, he's got that quality about him, and uh, and when the the brother comes back from the dead, and then the sister eventually realizes. She thinks she's kind of sweet on the dead brother who's not dead now. And it just gives the whole movie this just weird quality about it. But then, yeah, Oliver Reed goes, I mean, he goes completely over the top crazy as the as this movie progresses into its climax. And it is just nuts, but really fun and and incredibly weird. Well, that's a perfect segue into back to our list, because our number two is Dark Dave's number one, and it's Oliver Reed back in action as a werewolf terrorizing the town on a full moon from 1961, The Curse of the Werewolf. It came from a land of brutality and evil. It came from terror and fear. The Curse of the Werewolf. The Full Moon that turned an innocent man into a savage beast. The Curse of the Werewolf, a man possessed by a frenzied lust to kill and kill and kill. Get away, get away! So this is Oliver Reed's first film, and it is, um, as the werewolf movie go movies go, it opens so strangely this beggar doesn't seem to be anything wrong with him, aside from the fact that he's dirty and he's a beggar. He uh, offends the Marquis, and so he's thrown forever into prison. And the only people he sees when he's in the dungeon is the sort of the prison guard and his beautiful mute daughter. Eventually, the Marquis makes a move on the daughter. She rebuffs him. He throws her into the same cell with this man who's been languishing in prison for years. She, he rapes her. Which is funny because at that up until that moment, you don't have any reason to dislike this guy, this poor man who's been in jail all this time. He promptly dies. And then the, later when she has a baby, the baby turns out to be a werewolf. What? I just remember the whole time going, what? I don't understand how that came about exactly. But regardless, it, it, it gives you this queasying, weird, uncomfortable feeling. And then when the, the baby grows up, it's Oliver Reed, which makes it perfect because everything he does, again, just gives you that queasying, weird, uncomfortable feeling. And he's um, <laughs> he's funny unintentionally, but he does a great job of of being 
he's so over the top. He so overacts in this, but it, it really suits the film, which is set in Spain and it's full of dancing and gypsies. And it's just, you know, it's it's lurid and really, really colorful and um, and just a bizarre werewolf movie. What did you think, Dave? Yeah, it actually comes in at probably like number two on my favorite werewolf movies of all time. Of course, you know, 1941 Wolfman being my number one. But one I credit so high because of all the reasons you said, but I'm just really happy every time I watch it and it never loses its its worth. Um, but speaking of worth, it's funny. The character Richard Wordsworth he is insane in the beginning of this movie. It is, it's so entertaining to watch him dance around and beg for food. And then it's it's funny that what he does um, is what causes you know the birth of the werewolf because it's almost like hindsight. He, he's grown out all this hair like from his arms and hands, almost like he is a werewolf, but of course he isn't. And um, there's so many funny scenes in this film where you know Oliver Reed's walking and he's like kicking the ground. He's, you know, preppy schoolboy look going on but then later he's a menacing you know werewolf and i love the makeup effect of the film because it's not just a headpiece he's actually wearing like a torso piece because in the film he actually rips his shirt and you can see all the fur underneath and you know i'm a big fan of the practical effects so i thought it was a job well done so our number two dark dave's number one for hammer horror the curse of the werewolf from 1961 that leaves just uh, one at the top for us and from 1958 jonathan harker begets the ire of count dracula after he accepts a job at the vampire's castle under false pretenses horror of dracula this is the story of dracula a creature who destroys all whom he touches dracula the terrifying the feared who sleeps in the tombs of the dead by day arises at night to inflict his terror upon the innocent and the unsuspecting. Those who come to end his reign of terror stay to become his victims. Dracula, the bedeviled master of all that is evil. When we did eons ago, the best British horror, I believe this came in number one. It's the first Dracula Hammer movie. And uh, is for so, which means the first time that Christopher Lee played Dracula, uh, and he did play him again another million times. And in a lot of the rest of the films, he doesn't speak ever. In several of them, he doesn't have any lines whatsoever. He does have a handful of lines in this one, and of course, he's got that great voice. But as you said earlier, it's mainly just his menacing physical presence. That's so that is so impressive in this movie, especially if you're used to somebody like Bella Lugosi, who was great, obviously, as Dracula. But he's a tiny little person. And all of a sudden you've got this guy who just towers over everybody. And he's just effortlessly elegant as well. But at the same time, he has this brute, you know, strength about him. But the other thing I think that I love the most about this version is the way Melissa Stribling, who plays M- Mina, kind of just longs for him. Right. And so in, in any of the versions of Dracula prior to this one, it's always this, this complete innocent who who is being corrupted. Whereas in this one, she's really part of what's happening. She's totally in on this whole seduction and penetration business. And, and it makes the whole movie feel a, a lot more liberated and, and a lot more ribald, especially for, you know, really as long ago as it was made. So I just love, you know, when they made this, they just they really. um 
infused the whole movie with sort of brute force, with some violence, with some with some bite. And I thought that that was uh, one of the the real strengths of it. One thing I thought was cool that back about about ten years ago, uh, they discovered the cape that was worn by Christopher Lee in this movie in a London costume shop during its just annual inventory taking, and that cape had been missing for about thirty years and was believed to be worth around fifty thousand dollars. They actually got before he died, they got Lee to authenticate that that was the one. So it's just you never know what you have sitting around. And number one is a horror of Dracula. Dave, what do you think about that one? I dig it. I think Christopher Lee was a perfect choice to play Dracula, but as some people have probably heard, I am just not a huge fan of vampire movies. So as much as I enjoyed the film, I, I've seen a handful of the Draculas, and um, I, I think – I don't even know if I should say that. I hold him right up there with Bella. I think they're both great Draculas, but you know, what can you do? And another one about this, it takes – Jonathan Harker and Mina, the character names are the same, but it takes many, 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 many liberties with the original Bram Stoker novel. So much different than the novel. But uh, one that we like or hope likes very much, number one on our Hammer Horror list. So what did you think? Let us know about our choices. Maybe we missed some. Easiest way to keep the conversation going, as always, is on Twitter, and that is at uh, MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Uh, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook, as we said, and Instagram, as well as the main website for all the written reviews and fun, which is madwolf.com. And Dave, I know you do the same thing. You've got a lot of Twitter action going on. What's your uh, other? What are your other things going on in social media right now? Do the podcast and still, I, I, like Hope said once, I feel like I still do 90 podcasts, you know, maybe a month. It's insane. But I spend most of my time on the Black Cat Shadow podcast, available on all social media outlets, and still got the same Twitter handle if anybody wants to follow me and talk horror movies. It's, uh, you know, at Phantom Theories. Perfect. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing everybody that can make it for our next Fright Club Live, and that is October 11th, right back at the Gateway Film Center on High Street, Columbus, Ohio. We're going to talk about food horror and get greasy watching The Greasy Strangler. That is going to be a lot of fun. And once again, uh, mark it if you can on the calendars, October 19th through the 22nd at the Gateway Film Center, the Nightmares Film Festival. The complete lineup has been announced, and you can check that out. We've got a written rundown of that on our website at madwolf.com. So, Dark Dave, as always, it was a pleasure. Thanks for the input. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And until next week, I am George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Hit it, Dave. Stay frightful, my friends. Oh, he <laughs> sang it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs>